From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. Each episode, our special guest will bring with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is writer and director Dave Marmer. His debut feature film is the psychological thriller 1BR, which is now streaming on Netflix. Welcome to the show, Dave. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, we're super excited to talk with you both about uh, your movie and also the movie you brought with you. But before we get into that, um, how did you get into horror? Um, well, that is it's a it's a bit of a, a, a winding path there, really. You know, I grew up loving uh, all kinds of movies, but I, you know, I, I really kind of grew up with like in the Spielberg era. And mm -hmm. I was very into, you know, like Raiders of the Lost Ark was one of my one of my early favorite movies. Um and then I think it was like, I would say it was like junior high. I had this friend up the street who um, you just really liked horror movies. And I would go over it. I would just walk over to his house on the weekend um, and, and watch horror movies with him. And I, one of the early ones I remember watching there and just like being blown away by was uh, An American Werewolf in London. Oh, yeah. 
Um, That's a good which, one. Yeah, it's just such and and like looking back on it, like I still love that movie, but it's such an odd way into horror because it's such, <laughs> it really a, it's such a weird movie. Like it's it's such kind of like half comedy, half horror, but like genuinely scary. At and one like point, even, there's Nazi werewolves. Like yeah, it's, it's, it's so like, bizarre. It's really, really a uh, strange movie, but but just so cool. Um, so that was like that was a, a real entry point for me. And then and I had another friend who I used to like all through high school. We would just watch. We watched like all the the um nightmare on elm street movies mm. um we watched you know like pet cemetery i remember just scaring the bejesus out of me um <laughs> so i got really really into it then um you know but the the funny thing is like i i don't actually like consider myself like a horror person really like i love horror but i also love you know yeah pretty much every other genre mm-hmm. and yeah. i never like the the funny thing about one bedroom is it's it's actually the only horror script I've ever written. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, and it's not even like properly horror, right? Like it's you know it's kind of a weird hybrid of of genres. Yeah. Um, but uh, but you know, having done it now, I'm like super stoked to do more horror. Just, partly just because <laughs> like the horror fan community is, is so warm and welcoming and like just passionate and interested in a way that, you know, I've been to film fest, lots of film festivals with other, other movies and, and other projects and stuff and never have had like, uh, people just be as sort of keyed in and engaged as, as, as with this one. Yeah. Horror fans, as we know, and as we are, are like a really warm community and really intense community, but yes, it's usually, yes. it's usually a good thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think everyone's always so excited when a new, even horror adjacent movie comes out and so stoked, especially now when like everything, you can't go to the theater and everything's weird. It's like, yes. there's so many cool things coming on streaming, like your film and so many others. And it's like, you better be watching these movies. You don't have anything else to do. <laughs> like, right. and, and it's like, it's cool. Um, that yeah. people will have more access yeah. and maybe, and like there's more, maybe more time to people to hear about it than like with a big studio film. So that's like yeah. a sad silver lining. <laughs> no, no. I mean, honestly, like, you know, as, as, as terrible as the, the pandemic has been in, in, in almost every way, like, you know, it's, it, the timing was weirdly good for our movie because we, <laughs> we had our, our festival run already. Like we were just finishing our festival run when it hit. And we had our distributor distributor lined up. And the only thing that happened really was we we didn't get our theatrical run, which, you know, would have been really nice for my ego. And it would have been nice to, like, you know, go to a premiere and everything. Um, but, it you know, it's not was never where this movie was going to make its money. And, like, I think the fact of everyone being stuck at home and looking for things to watch. And, you know, thematically, the movie, I think, is is a little bit relevant to sort of the moment everybody is in right now, too. I think it's been... I think it's been strangely good for the movie in some ways. Yeah, I would not want to be trapped in an apartment <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like at any time, I don't think you would. But... Uh, obviously, no, but it's just funny even now to think about it. Yeah. Like, anyway, <laughs> I have lots of feelings about being trapped in apartments with bad people. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Sounds like you have some stories. Oh, yes, we'll get to those. <laughs> um, so what, as an adult... You kind of talked about what draws you to horror now, but what was the last film that really scared you or reminded you of, reminded you of what it was like to be scared as a child, watching scary movies as a child? Mm. You know, it's funny. Like I'm, it's it's hard to really scare me now. Like I've seen so yeah. many movies, yeah. I'm so jaded, yeah. and like half the time when I watch a movie now, I'm just sort of like going like, oh, that was cool. How they do that? Um, yeah. so it's, it's hard to really <laughs> engage me. I think like 
and this might not be really the last movie that's really scared me, but the, the one that's coming to mind right now, and it's a specific moment, um, was It Follows, which yeah, is, you know, just okay. like such a, such a great movie. Or, I mean, I, I, a little bit like, I don't love the last like third of it, um, yeah. where it gets a little more concrete. But when it's like the, the first two thirds where it's just this like it has this kind of nightmare logic to it and everything's so weird. And then there's that moment in the kitchen where I don't know if you remember this, where there's it takes the form of this woman and she's like, I don't know if she's like a, a down and out prostitute or it's, it looks like it's somebody who something terrible happened to. And she's walking slowly across the kitchen floor toward Make Monroe and and at some point she starts peeing on herself. Oh my god, you're oh, right. Oh yeah, that is all comes flooding back to me yeah, all of a sudden. Is, wow, that is like, I think it's the only time in the last like five years that I can remember being like truly deeply terrified by a movie. Like it was just it's so wrong on so many levels. Right. Wow. Yeah. I'm gonna have to revisit that film because like I honestly outside of like the finale at the at the pool and mm-hmm. the one scene that always like trips me out of they're i think they're in a bedroom and like the giant man just starts walking through the door yes. like yeah. that's that's the only scenes that i really remember about that movie i need to go i need to go check that one out again yeah it's 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 worth i i think it like i've seen it a couple times it it at least those like first two thirds really hold up so it kind of sounds like you don't really get that childhood fear of watching horror anymore i i kind of understand that um you know as someone that watches horror movies all the time you kind of get jaded um yeah yeah <laughs> you, need like, you need like a bigger and bigger fix every time right <laughs> i said i just watched a movie i watched a movie last week that it made me jump so hard i tweaked my neck so like Ooh. that was a that was a pretty cool experience what was that one mockingbird it's um, a found footage film by brian bertino who did the strangers yeah okay it's i mean it's his typical fucked up like <laughs> super super bleak. grim <laughs> The destruction of the of the family and like all that good stuff, but it, I really, I mean, I really enjoyed it. And cool. again, I jumped so hard I tweak my neck. So like, <laughs> I feel like that I should put that on the DVD cover, right? Should we yeah, tell people to put that on the cover? I there think. you go. Yeah. <laughs> do you have um, a favorite horror movie as a, as an adult now? I probably do. I mean, I think you know, like, I mean, I always if I'm if I'm thinking of sort of my top few, it it really you mm-hmm. know it's funny. Sorry, I'm giving you a very evasive answer, but like. <laughs> it de- it kind of depends how you're rating, okay? Yeah. So, like, in terms <laughs> of, like, it. what I think is the horror movie that is the best movie, I would say The Shining. Okay. Um, which is just, because it's just, like, it's so perfectly made, and it's, it is re- it's really scary and really disturbing, but it's also, like, you know, it's about something um yeah. in in a really deep way um and you know obviously there's a whole movie about how people disagree about what it's about um <laughs> but like you know it's just you know that that to me is like a singular piece of cinema that is also a horror movie yeah in terms of like what is the the scariest movie for me that is hands down the texas chainsaw massacre okay. oh yeah um, okay yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah because it's just like i you know i i watched that movie it's hard for me to that like it's far from being my favorite because like I, it's rare that I want to watch it because it's so upsetting. <laughs> yes. Like it's you just, just tweet about that Mary Beth. I did. I, I, I just wrote an article about Texas Chainsaw Massacre okay. and I said, it's hard for me to conceptualize how much I love this movie and how much I hate watching it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, it's just like, it's, it's awful. Like, and, it's and it awful. has this like, this documentary quality that's part of just from it being so cheaply made, I think. And also just, but it just, you know, there's no music. There's just those weird sound effects happening. And then like, 
you get to the end of that thing and what she's been through, you, you, you come away and she got away, but I'm just like, she is not okay. <laughs> like this person is, is, is scarred she was for, fucked for life. Scarred for scarred life. For life. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, so yeah, that, th- those are, those are, those, are, those are a couple answers. Those are really good choices. So one BR currently streaming on Netflix. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about it before we uh, dive into it a little bit more? Yeah, I'm bad at talking about my own <laughs> movies, but um, I mean, it's it's on, you know, it, essentially it's about a, a young woman who um, is moving cross country, moving to L.A. to pursue um, dreams in the in the, in the film industry and also kind of trying to get away from a, a, a bad family situation. Um, and she uh, happens into, or, or I think she would think, lucks into an apartment in this complex, um, which seems to offer kind of a lot of the things that are missing from her life. She's she's a bit lonely um, at the beginning, and um, it turns out to to be a, a bad decision, I guess. <laughs> um, you know, I don't I, I don't know like whether people have seen the movie or not, but like you know, I I, I feel like this is a movie that rewards knowing as little as possible mm-hmm. about it when you I will in. definitely agree with that. Terry watched it before I did and it was like a while ago and he was like, do not look look up anything. Like go in yeah. knowing nothing. And it really does like <laughs> make the experience of the film like even more like what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Like we worked really hard to try to, you know, this was something that was that I that I worked on even in the in the writing just to try to make it, you know, go that it goes in a, in a way that where I hope is not the way that you think it's going to go in the first sort of 15, 20 minutes. I would agree um, with that. <laughs> and, um, we worked really hard with the, the distributor, um, dark sky were they were really great. And they gave, they gave us a lot of input in the, the, the marketing, especially the trailer. And we, we must've driven them crazy. Cause like <laughs> we went back and forth on the trailer. Cause you know, they, there's like, it's hard to show anything in the trailer without spoilers yeah um but you know i think they came up with something that is you know doesn't really give it away but gives enough of a flavor of what it's going to be that it that it's intriguing um but it was really hard for them to do so what was your inspiration for the film did you have a horrific experience in an apartment Um, that you wanted to write about (laughs) no it's funny like the 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 really the the seed of it the original seed of it was that i i moved you know i moved down here for film school when i was about sarah's age and, mm. um, and I moved into an apartment, um, that was really similar to the, to the one in the movie. It, th- there wasn't anything specific that happened. It was just, I found the whole experience really surreal and kind of, kind of frightening. And, and it was like, it was partly that it was very, I felt very isolated there. Um, mm. you know, I was, I was pretty far from, from campus, so I didn't really have any friends around mm. and, um, and also just like, you know, I'd never lived, I, you know, I'm looking back on it now and like, you know, I'd lived in a kind of a suburban environment growing up. And then I went off to college, which was in a little bit more of an urban environment. And, you know, college is obviously its own thing. It's a very kind of um, socially tight knit uh, right. situation. Yeah. And this was my first time coming to a city where I didn't know anybody by myself and then living in this apartment by myself. And I, I think I'd never felt so isolated in my life. Mm. And there was something about walking around those breezeways and, you know, it's LA, so it's sunny and it's beautiful and there's palm trees and everybody would, you know, we'd all wave to each other, but I didn't know anybody's name. It never went beyond a wave. And, you know, it sort of occurred to me that like I'm sharing walls with these people if something bad <laughs> happened in my life, 
these are the people I would have to rely on in in the immediate term. And I don't know anything about them. And, you know, I don't know what's going on behind their walls. And then there right. were just, you know, there are things I look back and there, there are little things that made it into the movie. There were just little things I experienced. Like I remember when I first moved in my first night sleeping there, I was like almost asleep. And then somebody just started stomping overhead <laughs> and just like going back and forth. And the ceiling just like creaking and cracking with every step. And it went on for hours. And I was just like, I've made a terrible mistake. Like I've signed a one-year lease on this place. Yep. And like I'm never going to sleep again. <laughs> I, uh, I, I had um, – I, <laughs> I had a uh, – I had – well, I've had a couple horrible encounters <laughs> in a, with my apartment oh, life. Yeah. Uh, but like one time – I just kind of going off what you're talking about. There was a neighbor that lived ab- above me. And he would at 1130 at night – on the weeknights, would decide to start practicing Carry On My Wayward Son on, <laughs> on, what? Um, on what? On a bass guitar. Oh, for fuck's oh, that's sake. The worst. That's the worst because that's going to come right through the warbling. wall. Warbling. <laughs> yes, and warbling. So it would just be like this <gasps> dun, dun, and like this horrible out of pitch voice that was like just coming down. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? And he was singing too? <laughs> he was singing. So can you, oh, if you hear wow. that song, do you break out into hives? It does kind of make my neck twitch. Like I, <laughs> like, I can't ever hear the song my ever again. My little eye starts like fluttering. Yeah, no, I, yeah, yeah. Oh my yeah. god! I, I think like anybody who's lived in an apartment has probably had some experience like similar to to to, to mine or yours. Like, I had just... the most Twin Peaks David Lynch experience <laughs> that I need to share. So oh, please, I. So I used to live in this, like, in this con. It was a condo that someone was renting out, and it was this really cute little place. It was four apartments, two on the top and two on the bottom. And, of course, like, my roommates and I were friends from college who smoked a lot of weed and, like, were the <laughs> youngest people in the building by far. Like, everyone had a family except for us. And so then the, when Twin Peaks, the return came out, um, it came out around my birthday and my boyfriend's birthday. So we had a Twin Peaks-themed birthday party. So we had, like coffee flavored cocktails everyone had to wear a costume so everyone was in costume we're having a great time we were playing music we were probably kind of loud that's <laughs> fine it was like 11 o'clock at night on a saturday um and all of a sudden my friend goes do you hear this screaming oh. there was a screaming emanating from beneath us and it was like this woman was like oh like it was like on repeat like going ah ah and so of course, like I taught her not the music and like drunkenly run downstairs, knock on her door. And I'm like, mm-hmm. are you okay? Are you okay? And no one answers. So I run back upstairs. It keeps happening. Uh-huh. So the party immediately ends because everyone's <laughs> freaked the fuck out because there's a woman screaming, not responding during a David Lynch themed birthday party. And so the screaming keeps going on. I walk outside to look in her window and in her window, she is silhouetted against the window, like staring at me like, with her hands <laughs> oh above her God. head. And I was like, holy God. shit. Hi, are you okay? She's like, the music is loud. And I was like, okay, we can turn it down. Are you okay? She's like, the music is loud. And I was like, are we going to get murdered? (laughs) And so basically the next morning, like, we all went hungover and went to breakfast and came back and she like cornered me outside and was like explaining to me that how how many decibels the music was and how it was like so loud. And she had just moved in and I was like, okay, I'm so sorry. And then ever since then she would watch us through her blinds whenever we left the house oh, and like creepy. we would see her through the window sitting at a table by herself with the lights off with like the, 
It was like the most surreal fucking experience yeah. I've ever had. Like it's my one of my favorite stories to tell because I'm like, how? Of course, it happened during a David Lynch party. Like of he course, he course. himself could not have scripted a better moment. So and that's a person who like needs to work on their like their confrontation skills. Like, yeah, right? like, yeah, because there's a better way to do that. Yeah, and obviously, like we were concerned. It wasn't like we were we were like stop the party to knock on her door and like make sure she was safe and she wouldn't yeah. answer the door. And I'm like, should we call the cops? Oh my god. <laughs> oh boy, it's fun. But that's my fun apartment story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a fun- good one. Funny now that it's many years past. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, these things are good to look back on. They're not really that great to live through. No. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, so the the cast of One Bedroom though, or One BR, um yeah. it's it's phenomenal. Like I, I the the guy uh, Giles that plays Brian mm. okay, he's a cutie and like <laughs> It was like that was the goal. <laughs> well, it worked because he was very he's very charming and also just Nicole. How did yeah. you how did you find her? I just I mean it's it's the most boring story in the world. <laughs> oh. She she put herself on tape for us. You know we, okay. we put out a casting call, um, and uh, and she's based in New York, and she just uh, <laughs> she did it. She did a taped audition that blew me away, and. Uh, the, the the funny thing, the only thing that's sort of interesting about it, but it's it's not like I don't love this story either because it's it, <laughs> is that we didn't end up casting her initially. Oh, um, oh. so the the producers got an opportunity to cast uh, a woman who was the lead on a, a TV show, mm. who who got interested in the script and wanted to play the role. Um, and they, she's a good actor, but she was so wrong for the role um, <laughs> that I was just like, I was really against it. And I, you know, I, I already kind of had my eye on Nicole, but you know, they basically like, we had this big meeting with me and all the producers and they were like, look, she has, you know, X Instagram followers and oh, she's God. on this show and basically, and we, and look, we were a tiny movie. We had yeah. no budget and they were like, if we, if we cast her, we're immediately in the black. And, you know, and I like, I, I was like, I laid out all my objections, like all the things that I thought were, were a bad idea. And then I said, you know, I understand. And like, you know, I'll do my best to make it work. Cause I, you know, they were putting up the money and this was a, this was a business decision and that's the way the business works. Right. Yeah. Right. right. And so, you know, I flew out to Toronto and rehearsed with her and she's, she's really good. She's a good actor. And I, you know, I came away from that feeling like, okay, maybe we can make this work. Like we're going to have to really do a lot of work on her look and, and stuff and sort of like toning down her, her personality. But I was like, I think we can make this work. And we, we sort of went ahead and then I think it was five days before we were supposed to start shooting. She just unceremoniously dropped out. Good God. Um, yeah. Wow. And you know, I, we, to this day, we don't really know why, but I suspect it was just, we basically, we were shooting over Christmas and this was like her hiatus from her show. And I think she mm. just decided like, you know, for the hundred dollars a day or whatever it was we were paying, she was just like, <laughs> I'd rather have my vacation. So it was not cool. It was like a really, it was a very, this is why I'm not mentioning her name. It was like a very right, no, um, mean thing to do to, to a production and, and it very nearly sank us. Oh my wow. God. But, I'm so know, sorry. Yeah. It was really, it was that the pre-production on this movie was so stressful, but, um, well, I did hear also that you guys ran into like a, a fire situation. Oh yeah. Yeah. There was, uh, this was, I think this might've also played into why she didn't want to come was this was like 
there were these like crazy wildfires going on in LA right, right before we were supposed to start shooting. And I think she was concerned about the air quality. She had written some questions about that and we had assured her like the fires are not near where we're shooting, but you know, th- yeah, that, that almost shut us down because our production offices were in the fire zone. And then, yeah. And then, uh, I didn't find out about this until after we were already done, but apparently in the middle of production, um, one of our grip trucks got stolen in the middle of the night. <laughs> um, and what? some like there was like some shit. ring. There was some ring of like production truck thieves, um, and they they went and grabbed <laughs> one of our one of our trucks. But we had an overnight parking PA in the lot, and he saw it go down and followed this truck like all the way across LA on the freeway no. on the phone with the police until they they showed up and 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 stopped the truck. What oh my the God. fuck? Yeah, it was crazy. Like we were. This was a snake bit production. I mean, it was like, I, I haven't even like told you all the casting problems we had, but like we, we not only lost that lead actress, but we lost, um, we had cast one of her friends to play Brian. Oh. Um, and, and, and then we had, um, we had a really wonderful um, actress lined up to play Miss Stanhope. Um, but her husband got sick right before we were supposed to start shooting mm. and she had to drop out. So we lost basically oh. three of our leads within right. days Very of important shooting. parts. Oh yeah, my yeah. God. <laughs> um, so they, the producers insane. really were scrambling to cast and they were, you know, they, there was like a day I remember where they were still trying to see if they could get somebody high profile to play Sarah. And I just started begging them. I was like, look, we just, we need, we need a body. Like, can we please <laughs> cast somebody that we know is going to say yes or that, you know, or that at least we have a reasonable chance of saying yes. And also who I think, you know, is the best person for the role. Um, and I'm not talking out of school. Like they, they have, they have admitted to me that like trying, <laughs> trying to cast way above our budget was a mistake. Um, and they all, you know, like everybody just is in love with what Nicole did on this movie. Oh, she's uh, how could like, you not? she's yeah. amazing. Yeah. I mean, like I, I say this whenever anybody asks me about it, like I, I literally, and this is not an exaggeration, I'm not certain we would have finished the movie if we'd had anybody else in that role. Because, Aww. you know, this it's a was demanding a demanding role. It's a really demanding role. It's a, we had a 15 day original, our, our, our original schedule was 15 days. We, we ended up doing four more days of shooting um, much mm-hmm. later after we'd edited the, the whole movie. But, you know, we were trying to get the whole movie in 15 days. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a complicated production um and you know that she's doing such intense things and we had you know i mean you've seen the movie like the 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 coverage is very simple you know oftentimes it was we were covering a whole scene in two angles two two to three angles Mm -hmm. and we would have time for two takes at on each on each setup and like she was getting she would get there on take one like to these intense oh my god emotional places that's so amazing to hear because like yeah she the the emotions that, I mean like I I was watching it again uh, for prep for the podcast and mm-hmm. like I, it's just the amount of emotions that she has to go through in in like a single scene from being yeah. this vulnerable and strong and emotional to stoic like all mm-hmm. in sometimes the same scene that it's yeah. amazing yeah. To know that it was all in like a take or two yeah like it was uncanny like she is she is so good she and she, and also just you know with one of these things you don't know going in when you're working with someone you don't know, but like, she is just lovely. She is, she was such a professional. There was no ego, you know, this was a new experience for her. This was her first lead on a feature and, you know, flying cross country into, into a situation she didn't know and where this like, you know, really kind of sketchy things would be going on. Like (laughs) I could have seen her being very cagey and very nervous and she was not, she was just like, 
such a professional and, and very open to sort of talking things through. And she's, she's really smart. She got everything I was trying to do. And then, yeah, she would just on take one, she would give me these takes where I'm just like, well, we've got it. Let's, let's play around now for our second take. It was just such a luxury, you know? Yeah. Well, and you know, I, looking back, I mean, you, you basically said that kind of the three main important characters of this had to be recast. And yep. I, there are some of my favorite performances in this, in this movie. So, I mean, you know, happy accident type yeah, thing. Yeah, that's right? the thing. Like, I can't really claim any credit. Like we got really lucky because we were at the end there. It was just like, can we get somebody in this role so that we don't have to shut down? Um, and Giles was, um, so Gersh was the agency that, um, that Nicole came through. And, uh, and so, and they were just super helpful. I think, you know, when we cast Nicole, they were like, let's, let's try to support her as best we can. And they, um, they got it out to, to Giles who, you know, he's like, he's a bigger deal than, than we, than we could have gotten to, I think otherwise, cause he's, he's done a lot of TV and movie roles and stuff. Um, and you know, he just, he read, he read his parts. He didn't even have time to read the whole script cause we were so pressed. He read his parts and, and, you know, I think saw something in, in the character that he thought was interesting and, and said, yes. And then, you know, Susan Davis, that was just a lucky, I don't even know how they found her, but like, a local loves to tell the story. He's, he's our, our lead producer where he, he, someone sent her reel to him and it had a phone number at the end and he called it thinking he was going to be getting her agent. And she answered the phone. It was just her oh. like, personal <laughs> phone number. And Casual. he just like, yeah, he just like pitched her the movie and she said, you know, I've never, I've never done a movie before. Sounds like fun. Oh, spoiler. Aww. Sorry. <laughs> you can cut that out. Maybe we can, we can do a beep or something. Yeah. I do a beep. <laughs> So, should we transition to talking about the movie you brought today? That sounds good. Yeah. All right, Dave, what are we talking about today? Today, we are going to be talking about 2001 A Space Odyssey. I was going to do the music and then I completely forgot the music, so that was real awkward. <laughs> I, I would do the music, but I don't think anybody wants to hear that from me. <laughs> um, so for those of you unfamiliar with 2001 A Space Odyssey, the synopsis from IMDb doesn't quite explain the plot, but... <laughs> is can you really explain the plot of this movie? Um, So after discovering a mysterious artifact buried beneath the lunar surface, mankind sets off on a quest to find its origins with help from intelligent supercomputer HAL 9000. Sure. Yeah, I like. I feel like it's kind of a synopsis. It's like those things happen in the film. It does happen. Like they happen. That's the order. I mean, like the order in which they happen. Yeah, I mean, well, this is the funny thing about this movie is like, that's actually not a bad synopsis of the plot. Because like, if you were to take this movie and edit it just to get all the plot points across, the movie could be like 20 minutes long. Okay, (laughs) yes, exactly. So, okay, tell us your horror story about watching this film. Like, how old were you? And what happened? I can't believe you watched it as a child. Like, tell us about it all. (laughs) So I have this, this aunt and uncle my only aunt and uncle um and they're i just love them i was always very close to them and they were so i i was raised in a family of doctors and scientists essentially Mm, um and uh, i've always had a i've always been really interested in in science and actually my my first career was uh, i i was trained basically as a computer programmer um and Mm. that was my first career was was in in computer software um but i also grew up like with this you know sort of out of nowhere love of movies that the rest of my family really didn't share um except for my aunt and uncle who were huge cinephiles and so i think they kind of took me under their wing as a budding cinephile 
And they made, this is just a questionable decision. I think I was like staying up at their house (laughs) and I, I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I was way too young. I think I was, I was somewhere between eight and 10. Yeah. That's pretty young. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, and, and they just like, you know, probably just, they just wanted to be rid of me for a couple hours, but they sat me down in front of the TV and put on 2001. And they left you there? I, yeah, I don't. I don't remember them watching it with me. I think I was sitting there alone. <laughs> That's even worse. Oh, and then there's yeah. like, oh, we're gonna have this like bonding experience, and it no. giving you like exposing you to this masterwork of cinema. And like, nope, we just want you to sit in front of the TV alone and process this. What's the longest yeah. movie we can? I mean, look, I, I was really young. It's possible they were there, and I just was so like keyed in on the movie that I don't remember. But like, I really, my memory of it is sitting there alone in in their living room watching Amazing. this on the on the TV. Huh. Um. Yeah. Amazing. That's <laughs> phenomenal. Yeah. And it, and it, yeah, it just like, I mean, I don't even know where to, where to begin. Like, <laughs> it, you know, I mean the, 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 like I, right from the, just the opening, like I'd never seen a movie that starts, it starts on black. Like there's nothing yeah. on screen. And then there's this creepy ass music playing. this like weird <laughs> experimental, like atonal music. Just like, that goes on for like three or four minutes and i'm just like what am i looking at and then you get your production logos whatever and then it you know and i'm it's called 2001 a space odyssey i'm like okay i like star wars like you know and then it and then and then what does it go to the dawn of man the dawn of man eight men on the savannah yep this like long wordless sequence of these like shrieking ape men like getting chased one of them gets killed by a leopard yep yep and then and then <laughs> if that's not like my little brain is like exploding and then there's this fucking monolith standing there <laughs> casual you know and i'm just like i i didn't i did not know what i was seeing like I, yeah I, you know it was just i had never ever ever seen a movie that was remotely like this like you know you hear space and for me, that meant Star Wars. Yeah. There were Spielberg mm. movies, you know, E.T. Yeah. You know, but th- this was just not, this was not that at all. Um, you know, and then, and then like the whole middle section of the movie, I think I did a little bit better with. Like it's still, there's still scary stuff that happens in there. But like, you know, at least now we're in space and like right. there's nice music playing. There's a waltz and, you know, there's spaceships <laughs> doing stuff. But then, yeah, then you get, sorry, I'm just like. I'm just reliving this whole experience. No, you, no, it's do. great. Continue. You get, you get to the, like, I think one of the things that I remember really like disturbing me. Well, I mean, you know, there's like the, the computer starts, Hal starts murdering people. Right. Mm. Um, and boy, and, does he. Yeah. And like kills Frank pool, like on, when he's on an EVA, he's like outside the, the spaceship. And then he, he sends, there's that super creepy shot. It's beautifully set up from a previous shot where like, you see the the pod in the foreground and he goes out of the pod and he's kind of like flying toward the, the main spaceship. Yeah. And then you just see the pod start turning around. Yes. And like all the space, unlike any other space movie also, the, there's it's utter silence when they're out yes. in space, which yes. is perfect because that's what it should be. And then you don't even see it. Like you just see the pod start going toward him and the arms are opening up. And then you kind of cut to Dave Bowman, as I recall it anyway, you cut to Dave Bowman like inside the main spaceship and then he just sees like, pool's body go flying by flying hurtling by and so that was super disturbing but i i remember the 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 murder that really like 
I couldn't handle was when Hal kills the three hibernating astronauts. Because, mm. like, the, it, literally nothing you, nothing happens, right? They're, they're already in suspended animation. They're lying there. All you see are, like, vital signs going by. Yeah. And then suddenly there's this super close-up of a thing that says computer malfunction. And then you see, like, the, the life signs one by one start going offline. Yeah. And the, their faces don't change. It cuts to these shots of them just, like, sitting there. And it, it, that was, like so so scary to me it's so it's so casual and, yeah. and banal and like the evilness of yes. it yes yeah there's no like drama to any of it which is you know that's like a, a function of the movie like that's the way he did it on purpose clearly um but mm. it's like so beautifully done but it like I, I i i've rewatched it you know many many times as an adult and you know it's it's brilliantly done but like at, at that age it was just too much for me and then like you know to to cap things off then there's this Stargate sequence where, you know, like I, I was just like, did not know what I was looking at. Like, you know, it's, that's what I was most curious about as a kid. Cause I can't honestly, when, when you suggested this movie, I was like, I cannot imagine being a kid seeing this movie. Well, I couldn't either. <laughs> like, you know, I couldn't just, imagine a kid sitting and watching this for two and a half hours. Like I could not imagine a kid having the attention span for this movie. Well, that's the thing is like, I, I look back at it and I'm like, you know, I love this movie, but like, I'm like it's amazed slow. I wasn't bored. Yeah, because like, <laughs> it's really slow. But I think I was it just really slow. fascinated with the space stuff because like the some of the yeah. really slow stuff is is the middle section, like where they're going on mm-hmm. their 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 EVAs and like, you know, they, they'll just stop and sort of show you the entire docking procedure of a spacecraft. You know, in almost real time, it'll take minutes and minutes and minutes to do. Right. Yeah. But I think I was just really fascinated with with space at the time, which is maybe why my aunt and uncle decided to show me this movie. <laughs> but yeah, th- then this like, you know, okay, I've by now I've like forgotten about the weird Dawn of Man four million years ago <laughs> intro. We've had you know an hour and a half of space, and you know it's scary, but it's a movie. And then there's this like acid trip at the end, and yep. I, you know I was just like, what? I, I was like, I've, I think I felt like Bowman. Like you see these shots of Bowman in that sequence and it's like, they're so creepy where it like, it, it's like you, the psychedelic stuff is coming at you. And then it cuts to this, like a really quick still shot of him with his face completely contorted. <laughs> yes! <just> like in <laughs> yeah. horror. And I think like, that's what I feel like my experience of this sequence was. It was just like, <laughs> ah! <laughs> you know, and then suddenly you're in this weird Rococo room with lights coming out of the floor and he's a young man and he's an old man. And it, it like that just destroyed my mind. That whole sequence, just like this whole, this movie, just like the experience of watching that movie is one of the, it's one of the most indelible cinematic experiences that I've ever had. Like it, I feel like it rewired my brain in some fundamental way. It's funny that you say that because like uh, when I posted on Twitter that I was watching this movie, uh, the the writer Chris Straub, he wrote and said that this movie changed the course of his life. He saw it at age four, which I can't. I cannot imagine seeing this movie at age four, let alone age eight. No, (laughs) I have a I have a four year old in my family right now. And there is he can't even sit through an episode of Bubble Guppies like there's no (laughs) way. No, 
No. Oh, wow. That is, yeah, that's, that's, that's horrifying. So <laughs> what did you, how, how did, how did you process this movie <laughs> being a kid and being basically assaulted by the end with like this audio visual nightmare and kaleidoscope of, of color and sound? I, how did you process that? I, I, I honestly don't know. Like I, you know, I don't remember, I remember other movies giving me nightmares. I don't remember this one specifically giving me nightmares, but I do remember just sitting and thinking about it a lot yeah like it would it yeah. would not sort of leave me alone and i mm. i remember oh. i remember thinking about it a lot and i remember it was i don't know if this was after the first viewing but there was a period where i went through a period where i spent a lot of time drawing the discovery spacecraft mm. like in a lot of detail like drawing you know the big sort of ball section at the front and then there's all the segments along the the middle and the antennas in the middle I like I was really like obsessed with drawing that which I think maybe was some kind of way of me like trying to make it feel okay and <laughs> make concrete it real, in some way. It. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um did your did your aunt and uncle ever ask you what you thought of the movie? <laughs> Do you remember? I mean at the time they probably did. Um but I don't know that I would have had anything articulate to say. <laughs> <laughs> just know? like but, just like you start screaming and yeah, grabbing your head. <laughs> roll back and I have a seizure. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I have Um, a question. Do we... And I was talking to my partner about this last night. Do you think the ape scene at the beginning is necessary for the film or do you think it could have been cut and it would have had the same impact? You know, I think at the time I did not have any idea why that was there or why it was connected to the Mm -hmm. movie. When I watch it now, it is to me it's completely necessary and okay, totally yeah. intrinsic. And now it's it's also like it's hard for me to separate now because you know I got obsessed with this movie for for years and it's still like you know if I were to list sort of my top 5 movies like I can't really rank my my favorite movies but like it's it's always going to be in my top in my top movies like it's just it, I think it's such a feat of of cinema that like you know even now you watch it and you know just the visual effects are, are, are you know the, the fact that 1968 visual effects still hold up like um, that is insane i mean, I guess we can talk about that again because terry and i were talking about like how this looks better than movies now <laughs> like it way better looks and so also, like, good i mean it's like there's almost never been another movie that has handled space as realistically as this no. as this one does yeah um and it, and it gives you this like intense sense of like the vastness and the danger of it like there's there's so much to this movie but like it's really hard for me to separate because i got so obsessed with the movie that like you know i read the novel i read all the sequels which are not that great um (laughs) i read the original short story that it was based on the sentinel the sentinel um you know when you read the novel the next time you watch the movie you have a really different relationship with it because the movie is is very it's very elliptical right it's very poetic like there's not a lot explained you never really have a sense of what the monolith is or even what that like stargate sequence is i think if you were to just watch the movie you would not have any idea necessarily you know at least on a sort of on a concrete level like what that was supposed to represent but or you know maybe somebody would but like i certainly didn't (laughs) um but then (laughs) you know i didn't either (laughs) You read the you read the novel and like it it lays it out pretty solidly and then you know so since then like watching the movie I feel like I have the cliff notes like I I understand like 
I understand what's happening in that mm. in that Dawn of Man sequence, and it is intrinsically connected. Like they're they're all yeah. you know it's it's the whole movie is kind of about the evolution of man, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and that is that's true, you know, yeah. that's the first step, and it's sort of the idea that the monolith is there for each of these major leaps that mankind takes. Yeah, sort of like kind of gate gate checks and like the the evolution of uh, evolutionary goals of being like getting to be able to use yeah. tools and then being able to leave the earth and then being able to right. like, get further in the galaxy and sort of like kind of gates. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then so then and that also gives a key to kind of that last sequence that this is, you know, that that it's it's brought Bowman to, you know, some place that it's kind of simulating an Earth like environment for him as he transforms into this kind of next evolutionary stage. But, you know, in some ways, like I hate to even, you know, I apologize for saying that to anybody who has not read the book, because I I don't know that it's necessary to really appreciate the movie. Um, So it's it's one of those interesting things where it's it's like. I think people throughout the last, gosh, however many years it's been, 50, 60, 60 years? Uh, yeah, it's or 52 so? years, I think. 52? No, is it? it no, 60. Is it it's 62? 60, is it? No. <laughs> math is hard. Yeah, math. <laughs> I math. It's, 50, it's 52, I think. 52? So it, it's it's weird. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, going to be 52, our... 52. It's 52. It's 52. <laughs> okay, good. So it's going to be... Yeah, Dave I used to be a computer scientist, guys. I'm really good at math. <laughs> Uh, it, it's it's like okay the weird thing is is that i i never i never saw this movie growing up but i knew about it because it's been referenced so many times in so many different yeah. pop culture oh moments my gosh. Like, yes. i grew up watching the simpsons and i remember two in particular episodes with lisa's pony episode where um it, it actually starts with the dawn of man and where where homer <laughs> is a is an ape and instead of he touches the monolith and then he uses it as like a, a resting place and tips it over because he's leaning against it <laughs> or like in deep Perfect. space homer where he's out in space and they do like the the waltz song uh and he's like eating chips oh yeah he's like <laughs> and floating like this... in zero g eating chips yeah i remember that yeah trying to like save the <laughs> ship from the, the chi- it, it, there's all these little moments that i remember or even like the history of the world part one begins with the dawn of man and it's sort of like a little riff on That's on right. uh there's so many of these little moments do you, do, do you guys have any favorites of like the the parodies or riffs or any of that kind of stuff oh man i mean it's funny, like yeah, I, I I actually am I'm recognizing all the ones that you just referenced, but I would not have thought of them. So the one that pops into my head as like the first one is the scene in Zoolander when they're trying to get oh. in the computer yeah. and they start jumping oh, on the table yeah. and the music like the bomb bomb plays and they have a bone like they pick up a bone to smash <laughs> yes. the computer. Yep. I like I for some reason that is the first one I think of. <laughs> And it makes me laugh because I'm like, why the fuck was Zoolander be like the first place? But like, yeah, yep, that's the first. That's like my favorite one because it's just like ridiculous in that moment. So yeah, that's, that's my good. famous. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't think of any sort of like parodies or references in that sense. But I, the one that that is popping to mind, which is it's, this isn't a particularly like uh, uh, complimentary one, but I remember <laughs> when I saw Contact thinking that they were they were clearly like when she goes through whatever the you know the machine that takes her yeah. to Vega I was like well they're you know they're clearly trying to like replicate the the feel of of the Stargate and of course you can't make yeah. a movie like that without like being aware of it but I just remember thinking like well this feels kind of like a pale imitation yeah I, I mean you can like I the, the thing is is that 
even if you haven't seen this movie, you've seen people riff on it. I mean, it's yes. it's everywhere yeah. from like um, some of the designs in, in Wally. I believe that the director of Wally actually had this movie as like a, a go to for people to watch for when he was designing it, or like mm-hmm. you know Moon. Uh, I mean the yeah. the 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 robot on the Gert Gert is it Gertie or Gert on in Moon that like yeah. talks to him and kind of have, plays that same sort of like Hal like mentality right. with. Right. But a much more and, you know, even like, version. <laughs> right. Or even like mother and alien, like just sort of like the the kind of like overarching computer and, and even the way that things mm-hmm. are filmed. Like I remember when I was watching this for for podcast prep, and I was like, oh, yeah, there's the spaceship kind of like coming into into view from like the left side of the screen. And that's like done in any in all yes. the alien movies. It's done in like Star Wars. Like it is referenced oh, everywhere. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, it's funny to look at like what science fiction space movies looked like in like 1967 mm-hmm. and then what they looked like in 1969. And then you see like how huge an impact this movie made. Cause there was nothing that looked or felt anything like this before that. And then, you know, yeah, like you said, like even like star Wars, which is such a different movie, you watch that movie and just even like the design of like the death star, Oh yeah, you know the way it looks on the outside with like all the sort of like bits of machinery. I, that's that's the outside of the Discovery or the the, mm-hmm. the Discovery spaceship. Like that's you know they they created this entire sort of like reality of what we think of as space now. And that was like that's so that's an interesting point because something I was l- looking at yesterday when I was watching it um, it was like a moment and it's a very brief moment and I don't know why it stuck with me where the the men are going to the moon to see the monolith and mm-hmm. they're eating sandwiches and like yes. want some coffee and he they just like have to think of coffee and i was yeah. like it's so funny the way that this is such a huge sci-fi thing but then these guys are just drinking coffee in spacesuits and i know I it mean, sounds they, so yeah. weird but like it was just so interesting to see how these elements of like 1960s cult, like culture and society were like integrated into this version of space and how they were still familiar things despite yes. them like, it's, like, almost uncanny in yeah, a way. It's so amazing. Like, I love that whole first sort of, you know, third of the movie where it's it's simultaneously such a perfect rendering of the future, you know, with the, the way gravity works and, and that, that beautiful scene where, like, the, the, the flight attendant, like, picks mm-hmm. up the pen from floating and puts it back in his pocket. And then at the same time, it feels so dated in some ways because it has this real, like, hardcore 60s look to it yeah and it's like and it's like a pan am flight and they're staying at the howard johnson's I oh love yeah the, i love <laughs> I the, the, howard like, johnson's. the capitalization of like the space station where it's like there's like the hilton yeah. and there's like all these like howard johnson and everything like has like <laughs> yeah. a, a brand attached to it i just i was like oh wow this is like it would be now <laughs> if we yeah, had yeah, this in exactly, space. <laughs> exactly. And 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 yeah, just like you were just like you were saying, like the 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 amount of time spent on the just the banalities and the the kind of routine of of space travel is like, I mean, almost no other director would have been allowed to get away with that. First yeah. Of all. Um, but like you know, yeah, just like minutes and minutes of conversation on like what kind of sandwiches they have on the on that moon. <laughs> that moonship yeah and then like him like eating the weird like 
food through the straw on okay, the so oh I have yes, thoughts on yes. this <laughs> because like oh, okay, I, I Terry feel... has a really cool okay you have really cool thoughts about this <laughs> I feel like the use of food kind of like ties into the sort of um evolution of man in it because like when you first see them mm. off the, the planet and they're like dealing with 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 space and we're kind of being introduced to you know the woman is, is sort of haphazardly walking down the aisle and like it's sort of like mm-hmm. they're learning to walk and the food is presented as almost like baby oh, food yeah. And they're like having to eat, like drink liquid of it. And then later on, when they're uh-huh. in the Jupiter section, they're actually eating um, solid, solid food. Solid food. Yeah. And then by and, the end of the movie, it's like, like kind running. of like. Yeah. Right. And so he, he's like running, in the, which is an awesome shot, by the way. That, I love that awesome shot, shot of like yeah, running yeah. in circles. Oh, yeah. It's sort of like a hamster wheel. Like it, yeah. it's sort of like. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like it's sort of like you know this man is super intelligent, but look at him; he's running in circles like a hamster would. You know, it's <laughs> right. sort of like, but like he's he's eating solid food, and then by the end of the the movie, his last thing is his final meal before like he transitions on to being a, a big baby, That's like literal, right. literal That's big right. giant baby, a literal baby, yeah. <laughs> a literal baby, a literal baby. No, they, I've I've never put that together, but I, that's brilliant. I think, and I'm it's I bet so you cool. that was on purpose, and. Linked to the food, the scene I also love is when she's bringing the food to the captains of that, like, I think it's like a, some kind of shuttle, and she mm-hmm. like starts walking up in a circle, and, and I'm just yes. like, I, my jaw dropped. And like, yeah, it's not yeah. that, it's not that groundbreaking, but it was just so cool. It like so seamlessly happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's like, how did he do that in the 60s? Right. Like, it's just right. so breathtaking and it's also just yeah it's so well designed that whole section with those little those little shots where it starts out looking very mundane it's just a person walking down or whatever and then she starts like walking up the wall right yes exactly and and then like walks out upside down and you're just like it really does create this sense of the weightlessness in in a way that like i think could not have been done you know just by seeing people floating around it doesn't really give you the sense in the in the same way this idea that there's like no up and down yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's oh, it's so it's such a great movie. <laughs> when did you first see this, Mary Beth? Yesterday. <laughs> wow. Yesterday was the first time I saw this movie, and I can't believe I waited so long to watch it. Well, I'm um, glad to have given you an excuse to finally li- watch it. Seri- I was wanted to say thank you because I was like, <laughs> I, so for the longest time, like I was just I don't I'm like I'm a film person, like I should have seen it. But I just avoided it for so long, and I got to the point where I was like being a contrarian about it. I'm like, it can't mm-hmm. be that good. It can't really that. And dear reader, I was severely mistaken. <laughs> I, at the beginning of the film, I was like trying to be a dick, and it started playing, and I was like, oh, the apes. I'm already bored. And then my boyfriend was like, you have no idea what's coming for you. Yeah, you really do have to like. You do have to put yourself in the rhythm of the movie. Like it is. It would not be the right movie to like watch like on a you know Friday night when you're looking for for something exciting or whatever. no. And so, but then all of a sudden, I was like sucked in. I was like. And then, so my boyfriend, who's who's seen it, wasn't going to watch it with me. And then he got sucked in, <laughs> and so the two of us were watching it. And I kept gasping, and I cried a couple times, and yeah. I didn't think I would cry, and I got very emotional. <laughs> and it is one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. And yeah. like it's it's the the hype machine was real, guys. I shouldn't have doubted it, but this <laughs> one because it it was just like 
almost indescribable the feeling of watching this movie for the first time yeah i wow i can i can only imagine watching it for the first time as an adult that's such i'm so glad you got to have that experience well, and awesome. i'm also kind of glad i watched it now because i think as i've gotten older i've gotten more of an appreciation for slow burn and like slow yes. stuff and i really really love that like in the past couple of years i've really started loving slow atmospheric films and mm-hmm. i feel like if i'd watch this like in college or like even in my early early 20s i don't think i would have enjoyed it as much but like so have you seen the film jean dealman the three an hour movie about the woman who is a housemaid or a housewife no i don't know it Mm -mm. so it's this there's a reason i'm saying this so jean dealman is this three and a half hour long movie that feels really mundane but it sucks you in with these like routines and patterns she does Mm. and so this felt similar to that experience where you like Obviously, this is in space, and so it's a little bit more exciting, but the pacing feels very similar where, like, nothing is happening a ton, but you're still really sucked into it, and you just, mm-hmm. like, get really emotionally invested in something that you did not expect yourself to get emotionally invested in. Right. And so... Yeah, movies that can do that are miraculous. Like I, you know, I I would n- <laughs> I would not have the self confidence to try anything like that. Like you know, I would be so scared of boring the audience. Like it would just take such such well, self confidence. That happened though. I was like, because there's like apparently when it first premiered, people were like, "What the fuck is this?" And like mm-hmm. people did not like it. And I think um, Arthur C. Clarke, who wrote the book, and mm-hmm. Kubrick were really bummed. Yeah. I think people did not understand what was happening. And I was like, that's fair. I feel like in the 60s, this comes out and you're like, what is this? Yeah. And, and <sighs> I think to be fair, they actually, I believe they, they recut it and, um, and cut some, some time out of it. Oh, interesting. I did yeah, not know that. I think it was a bit longer when it was first released. But this was, you know, in the 60s, the way they would do these releases is they would, um, they would roll them out slowly. And a movie yeah. would open over the course of months. And so they had time oh, yeah. to kind of like play with it. Um, oh, that's so fascinating. This was like, you know, this is pre-blockbuster era. So that they, this whole idea of like the opening weekend, I don't think really existed back then. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I believe if I'm not mistaken, I could be some Kubrick fan is going to yell at me about this. But like, <laughs> I, I think no, my I, I do remember reading. Yeah. I remember reading like in the first like first showing of it, he was um, he paused a bunch to like go up there and, and fiddle with even even the the cut that he was showing the audience at that time. So I, I believe that that probably did happen. Yeah, I have a recollection that that that, that they did some recutting after like the the, the, the very opening. And then, um, you know, and then I think I don't know how accurate this is, but I, the story about it always was that like it was not looking like it was going to be a hit. And then. And then the hippies got hold of it, like, and they realized that if they got high, it was like an amazing, like, transcendent experience. And they would, they would all, they all went to go watch it high. That's funny. I actually told my boyfriend, I was like, we should do acid and watch this movie. He's yeah. like, no, why would we the do movie, that? No, the movie is acid. You don't need to. I know. To, you don't need, you like, don't I feel like if you did drugs watching that movie, you'd be like, I have to go. Yeah. I think it would be, be too much. Time it for the hit to hit, like, right as, uh, as he's going through the Stargate. Oh, <laughs> oh God. Oh, no. <laughs> Wrong, wrong, wrong. Incorrect. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Um, so I have to, I, I think, I know Mary Beth wrote this question down, but I got to ask, fake the moon landing. What do we think? We got to talk about the moon landing conspiracy theory because it's so stupid and I love it. I, I mean, I am, I am not a person who generally, I don't know that there's ever been a conspiracy theory that I have, that I have come close to believing. I do remember hearing a totally bonkers conspiracy theory it wasn't about the moon landing, and I'm probably going to get it wrong, but it was 
somebody's theory was that every photograph we have of the moon has also been faked because the moon is actually like rainbow colored. What? Excuse me? Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I get it. I, I, unfortunately I don't, somebody told me this and like, I was so sort of stunned by the nonsensicalness of it that I couldn't even really process it. Yeah. So I'm probably getting it wrong again, but, um, but it sounds like, unfortunately that sounds like a thing people would say. I mean, like people will say any, like the world today is lost. (laughs) It's fucking mind. Lost. It's fucking mind. People believe in anything. It's insane. It's insane. All you need is enough followers to make it a fact, a Facebook page and you're good. So it wasn't like one of the, I don't, I think, I don't know if I'm making this up or not, but wasn't one of the theories that because like Danny Torrance and The Shining had an Apollo 11 sweater, yeah. that was like some kind of teaser that the moon yeah. landing was fake. Yeah. Like, it was faked. I don't so know. One, that yeah, seems so like a bit of, of the, a stretch to me, but. Yeah, this was one of the theories in, in Room 237, which is the, the <laughs> That's do- right. documentary yeah, yeah, about yeah. The Shining, was that Kubrick like helped them fake the moon landing. And then The Shining was his coded apology for doing that, I think, was the, the idea. Um, which is so super weird given that, like, well, why would you, if you were going to fake the moon landing, if you were going to have a famous filmmaker fake the moon landing, why would you use a filmmaker who's making a movie literally about, like, where they are literally faking a moon landing? It's like, the, it seems too movie. obvious. It's yeah. too obvious. And it's also, like, come on, it would look better. Okay, that's okay, Terry. I was gonna say that. Like, my partner and I both said, like, it would look so much better if he did it. Like, yeah. there's no way that he would have let his creation of the moon landing that's would right. look like that. Like, there's no way. There's no way. There's no way. I just want to yeah. bring it up because I think it's. I mean, obviously, there's a moon part in the film, and all I could think right. about was like the moon landing conspiracy. It's so <laughs> stupid, but it's so fun. And it just makes me laugh. Just like yeah. people really do, just want to like throw random things out there. The, yep. Yep. I think somebody actually made a movie about Kubrick faking the moon landing. I can't remember oh, really? what it was called, but <laughs> I remember maybe five to ten years ago, something came out. where There's there was a found like- footage movie called Lunopolis. Um, it's not about Kubrick, but it's about these two guys who are, have been, who have discovered that there is a, a moon base on the moon and uh-huh. how they're getting tracked down by the government. Wow. To, I haven't watched it. I've heard it's actually pretty good. It looked cheesy, but like I'll give anything a chance. Apparently it's actually sure. awesome and weird. So Alright, I'll add that oh. to my list with Jean Dielman. <laughs> Very different movies. <laughs> <laughs> Very different movies. <laughs> Make it a night. Oh. <laughs> what, a weird double, what a weird double feature <laughs> yeah. that would be. <laughs> um, I have to ask... It, because a lot of people question this, why? Why did Hal break bad? Why? What? Yeah. Why do you think that he malfunctioned or wasn't a malfunction? So this is another thing where, like, I, I, unfortunately, I can't give sort of my own theory because because it's essentially book. explained in the novel, oh. or at least, or maybe it's explained. I think it's actually explained in one of the sequels. Mm, okay. Um, so I kind of know what the authorial intent was. Um, and it's another one of these things where I can't kind of unsee it now when I watch the movie. Yeah. Well, okay, Terry, what do you think? And then you can tell us, Dave, what the, the real answer is. The, the real answer. <laughs> I don't think it was a malfunction. I think I, 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 my, my read of it is because, you know, there's, there, he knows about the monolith. He knows it's out there, and you see the like the that entire snippet up to when he does decide to kill everybody is like 
these humans are lazy as fuck. <laughs> you know, he's like la- lounging in his in his chair and the call comes in and he's like, oh, how can you move me closer <laughs> to the video? Right. He's exactly. like, oh, can you can you prop me up a little bit? <laughs> oh, no, right. that's too far. Put me back down. Like Hal is doing everything for these lazy ass motherfuckers who don't do anything except run around this hamster wheel and watch videos and eat it's like, true. and watch stuff on their iPad, which hello, iPad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, I, I just I feel like. If if I was this computer and I was this smart and I knew that I was smarter than, than than these men, I mean, you see that he beats the guy in chess and you know that there is this like another gateway to like potentially unlocking something. I would yeah. want to kill them all because I would think they're not <laughs> useful. I would think that they're like, they don't they don't deserve this. I yeah. deserve this. Okay. If I'm this Terry, this infinite. Exactly. Same. What? That's the exact same. same thing I thought. I was like, he's killing all these motherfuckers because he wants to be that evolved being, which I get. I'd be like, all yeah, right, do it. And, I, that's and this it. is yeah. This is why I also think the beginning is so important because you see it, it sets up with with the dawn of man this idea of like these apes are living. I mean, they don't like each other, but they're living in relative peacefulness. I mean, right. one just they yell at each other, and it's not until they get intelligence that. And they realize that they can use this tool to bash each other in and, yeah. and they start to like eat meat yep. as opposed to like eating grubs and stuff mm-hmm. yeah. that like it's it's this kind of like the the ability of intelligence is going to lead to to violence and it's going to lead to yeah. using tools for different ways. And so you see this this battle again played out now with like the tool that man created and man fighting each other. Right. And so that's kind of like how I how I took it. Yeah, that's that's I love I love that take, and I think yeah. it's not super far off from oh. from what's in the book. And again, it's been a long time since I read the novel, so I don't remember it in exact detail. But I think it was essentially something along the lines that um, that basically Hal had been given contradictory instructions. Basically, that he was mm. that, that that I think the success of the mission was absolutely paramount, and that he also had to keep it secret from the from oh. the humans. And it created some kind of cognitive dissonance. And possibly there's an element that like his sort of interpretation of the 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 sanctity of the mission being the most important thing he felt was threatened by the idea that they were gonna shut him down. Oh. Because if they did, then they would not have access to to the information about the mission. Um, oh, that he so was that, the only that it kind person. of is a logic. Yeah, uh... I think there was some sort of like logical paradox that they put him into oh interesting um now what's also interesting about this idea that you brought up about like the well a couple things about the the um the sort of evolution of 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 how and him wanting to sort of be the the one who has this experience is i believe in maybe the second sequel how does get evolved like they so the the spaceship gets Mm. left out there and and then i think in the second book they go back and they and they find it and they reconnect how and figure out what went wrong. And then in the third book, which is like 50 years later, I think how somehow his consciousness ends up on Europa or something. And again, I'm, you know, the Arthur C. Clarke fans are screaming at the podcast <laughs> right now, but like I believe he kind of gets star-childed the same way that Dave Bowman did. Oh, okay. Oh, um, okay. But the other little tidbit in terms of like, I think your take about the the sort of the idea of tools and weapons essentially is really great. And and this is another detail I remember from the book, or maybe this was in the screenplay, but is never clear in the movie. You know, the, the famous shot where the, the ape man throws the bone up in the air. Oh, I love it. And then yeah. it's like the, the four million year cut. 
to like right. the orbiting space station. So that apparently that orbiting space station is an orbiting nuclear weapon. Oh, that the earth is now ringed with these orbiting nukes. And there's this kind oh. of like balance of terror with all these countries having nukes kind of in orbit around the earth. Oh my God. Um, which gives you a new angle on like on that cut, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was, I, I kind of wondered if, if, cause I, I wasn't quite sure what it was when, when it, when it lands and they focus on it and, it it doesn't it doesn't surprise me if it would be some kind of like nuclear weapon right. because I think the the intent of that was definitely clear. Got it. Yeah. 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 And so I'm not. Sh- I, I would like to hear everyone's reactions to um, Hal dying because I cried. Oh yeah, that is. I mean, <laughs> it heartbreaking. is heartbreaking. What is maybe the top saddest cinematic death I've ever seen? Mm-hmm. Because it's so. Again, this is my first time seeing it. I had no idea. Like. I had kind of like I knew about the part, but I thought it, I didn't realize it was going to be so emotional and so much of him being like in a monotone saying I can feel it and he yeah. can feel death and my it's such a weird going. my mind is going and then he starts singing the song yeah and that it's first just song like, he learned yes oh, and yeah. like it's I'm getting sad just thinking about it I that, I think you you like anybody who has a heart is is going to be moved by that scene it's like and that's another thing it's so brilliant is like you know there's the trope of like the, the evil computer that, you know, is, is killing off the crew and he's, he's doing that in his own way. But like, then it just, it turns 180 degrees around on you. And like, you have this sense of like a being who, who wants to live. It's like, you know, for that time, especially like the representation of artificial intelligence is so far. I mean, even today, most representations of artificial intelligence, I don't think are, are, are equal to that in, in sort of sophistication. Um, I mean, yeah. okay. How it, going with his his death? He he says that he was born on January twelfth, nineteen ninety two. How is it <laughs> this movie that Hal's birth in nineteen ninety two and it's twenty twenty and I still can't get Siri to understand me? <laughs> I'm just saying. Well, Kubrick was a little optimistic, I guess. I mean, that's a bit, which maybe is the only time anyone's ever said that sentence. But uh, yeah, I think like maybe his timeline was a, was a little off. <laughs> Um, yeah, they, you know, I think like at that time, probably there was kind of like a belief in the, in the, the, you know, the supremacy of technology that we were going to be able to solve any, any of these yeah. problems. Um, but, uh, instead of kind of exacerbating a lot of them, right? it's like, yeah, what would Kubrick <laughs> think of social media? I think he could have oh, some real fun with it. His brain would probably explode and then he'd <laughs> yeah. make a movie about it and we'd all be like, yep, that's it. Yep. You no got one it. make any more movies. Yep. <laughs> so do we... Do we feel that this movie is pessimistic or optimistic Ooh. at the end? I feel it's tremendously optimistic. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, every beat of the movie is is sort of mankind, like, stepping into the unknown and and, and evolving. Um, and, you know, there's it's clear-eyed. Like, there's no, there's no illusions about, you know, the, the fact that, um, you know, like you said, tools, a tool is also a weapon. And that applies to a, a bone or a spaceship or a supercomputer. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's also like, you know, even in the treatment of the of this sort of like evil computer trope, it's not like I never get the sense that like this is a cautionary tale against the advancement of technology. Like technology no. is what gets them out there. Technology is what gets them to, you know, to this breakthrough in evolution. And then that last shot is, you know, however you interpret it, it you know, it's something about like, mankind as in its infancy 
and like you know growing into the next phase of 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 evolution like to me that i to me anyway i think it's probably the most optimistic movie kubrick ever made huh interesting i don't know what's your Hmm. what about you mary beth i'm i'm curious so my initial thought was actually pessimistic because I wouldn't say it's a, a cautionary tale about technology by any means, but I think it's about arrogance a little bit. Mm. Um, I felt like a lot of this film was about like, okay, like we don't know what this thing is, but we can deal with it. Like we can handle it. We can touch it. We can send someone to Jupiter to, t- to get to it. And then when they finally get to that new monolith, well, the, the first time on the moon, it starts screaming at them and doesn't right. take a picture of it. And so, again, I feel like that's kind of like Kubrick laughing at people thinking that they can kind of covet these the unexplainable. And then with when they go to in Jupiter, when he goes through the whole like Stargate, it is like it defies any explanation and anything we could have comprehended. And like, again, I don't know if it's necessarily pessimistic, but I feel like there is a lot to say about like our kind of assumptions that we are the supreme and that we can control things and that we know what they're going to be because every step of the way in this movie we realize like we can't control things Mm. so that was my kind of take on it but i also see the optimism in terms of like things are advancing and like even within that and this is another thing that might not ever have been explained fully in the movie but that scream on the moon that that's that's a trigger essentially so the Mm. the monolith was placed on the moon with the idea that once mankind was able to escape the cradle and make it to the moon they would be advanced enough to take the next step into space and so when they uncover it and they touch it that scream is it sending a signal and it's sending the signal toward jupiter which is why they are going to jupiter i also think it makes me a little bit like anxious because it feels like we're not we're not in control well, yeah, which is obviously, classic, which is classic Kubrick. Classic right? Kubrick. Yeah. I was going to say, like, it, it is a little bit nerve wracking to me. Uh, something that always kind of freaks me out because I know it's true. It's like realizing that we're all kind of puppets mm-hmm. to something bigger, and I'm not. But you know, I'm not sure if that's a good or a bad thing. Maybe it's both. I mean, yeah, I guess it's comforting if you if you can accept it in some way, right? <laughs> um, yeah. You know, the, the sort of like surrendering yourself to the to the vastness of of the universe. The, the, the famous I, Kubrick has a famous quote, which I'm going to mangle, but it's essentially something along the lines of like the, the 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 terrifying thing isn't that nature is is or that the universe is hostile. It's that it's indifferent. Mm. Yeah. You know, and yeah. that you get a real sense of that from this movie. Just like yeah, you know that this you know space isn't trying to kill you. It's just gonna. Right, like we're not meant to be yeah. out there. Indifference right. it's, it's is not really... actively killing you. Yeah. It's just right. it's just going to. Indifference <laughs> is such a good way to explain just like a word for this movie, mm-hmm. like in a good way. It's indifferent because mm-hmm. you then you're kind of able to project your own emotions onto it in a way. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's very like poetic such, in that way. I agree. Yeah, but Terry, what do you think? Po- pessimistic, optimistic, both? I I I really see it as pessimistic. Mm. Um, I I I think the. And and the reason why is because I I seeing that that baby in, at the very end and like this new life form that's happening, I think it's the end of humanity. I think it's the it's uh-huh. like it's done and it's another stage of of some kind of like life cycle. And it, the entire time, whenever we see man in this movie evolve, it comes with violence. Um, that and is it true. comes with 
And so I just, I, it always like leaves me with this like really sad feeling. Like it's, it's so weird because it's, it's triumphant at the end, you know, you get the very triumphant music. And I, so I, I just, I don't know how to feel about it. It just always makes me feel like, well, that baby's going to fuck some shit up. Like (laughs) I I, I just, I feel like it's the end in some way of like of humanity. I never, (laughs) I never interpreted it that way. Like I, to, to me that, that, that last shot feels so, so positive like that's so fascinating like i thought we, it was yeah i thought it was so negative i was like this baby's gonna eat everybody like not like actually <laughs> but it did feel very much like this is over like this star child is coming and like oh, it's over for people i sort of like pictured that star child as being us like i on some kind of metaphorical level like it's not like a literal giant baby that's coming to after the world that it that it's like it's a representation of sort of where we are that we're about to be born into, you know, being a, a spacefaring civilization. And, and somehow I guess in my, this is probably my own sort of like rose colored vision that, that like, you know, that we, that we essentially, you know, as, as awful as things feel, you know, even specifically right now, like if you look at the vast sweep of history, like we have become progressively less violent and less, less punitive and, you know, for the vast majority of people, things have actually gotten much, much better over the last, mm-hmm. you know, if you look, if you take the long view over a thousand years or something. Right. Um, and I guess that's sort of what I'm, what I bring to it when I, when I look at that last image. Well, and I kind of do wonder if some of it might be the kind of interplay between Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke, because mm. like, um, I, I, and I think that might be why there's different reads for it, because they both, you know, worked on this together and, and this and the script and the book were both, you know, co-written mm-hmm. by by both of them. Because, like, I remember reading one of the books that I really loved growing up with art with by Arthur C. Clarke was Childhood's End. Mm-hmm. And it's all about this, like, it, it kind of feels almost like a, a prelude to this movie where, you know, once humanity finally reaches this next, like, level of 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 evolution they get basically become all one with these aliens from what i remember it's been so long since i've read it but yeah it's a very like it's a very like positive look at how humanity eventually will all become one um and so like and i I kind of seeing this watching this movie this over the weekend and i had was like doing some research into arthur c clark some more i was like ah, i can really kind of see that being like the stepping stone for a side of this of this movie yeah. and i just i just feel like it's kind of like it's sort of like ai like this you know ai the the yes. steven spielberg oh, yeah. movie was <laughs> started out as sort of like this kind of like um kubrick slash spielberg yes. like togetherness yeah, it's like a weird like it's, it's a weird like un- unholy combination of like <laughs> these two totally incompatible right. <laughs> philosophies and i still kind of feel that way about about um arthur c clark and him working together That's because really like i just i see a lot of what kubrick has to do is very a, a lot of his movies are very cynical mm-hmm. they have a very cynical outlook on 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 humans on humanity yeah and Isaac, uh, Isaac, I want to say Isaac Asimov. <laughs> Arthur C. Clarke has like a very almost from the stuff that I've read of his is almost like a he has a much more positive outlook. And I it, so together they sort of make this. And I, I think that what's probably what makes this movie so interesting to watch is mm-hmm. that there are so many different ways of of reading into every little aspect of it. That I love that that take. That's yeah. That 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 probably both interpretations are baked into every frame of that movie because it you know it is the product of these two kind of like opposite minds. Yeah. yeah. Now I got to go watch it again. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, so do we want to wrap up and give this a rating yeah. out of five? All right, Terry, how many I'm afraid I can't do that, Dave's, out of five <laughs> do you give 2001 A Space Odyssey? So it, it's interesting. I saw this movie for the first time maybe like five years ago, and I watched it with my brother at his house, and he had like two dogs running through and like everyone's walking through like the area and like I was bored to tears I'm not gonna lie I was bored to tears it was not the right way of watching this movie and so um, I was a little anxious of watching it this week because I was like oh two and a half hour movie but like I sat down I had my noise canceling headphones on and I started watching it and it immediately sucked me in and my I went back to look at my letterbox I think I gave it like a three star when I first saw it this is um this is a five. I'm afraid I can't do that, Dave's, for me. Um, I think just the, this conversation, just the different ways of reading this movie, yeah. the effect on on cinema, the effect on on everything from from science fiction movies to even hell. There was a Mad Men episode that had that was called Monolith and it had a black monolith in it. <laughs> like it just you can't look at especially science fiction movies out today without seeing them trying to in some way shape or form outdoing this movie that in 68 looks better than most movies yeah. released today mm-hmm. um like i'm just i'm uh, amazed at some of the 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 model usage that they that they get and how it how real it looks and how it has a sense of place mm-hmm. how it has a sense of of scope within the frame so i yeah i gotta give this five um for me what about you mary beth I'm also giving this five. I'm afraid I can't do that, Dave's out of five. Um, this is my first time seeing it, and I am just absolutely blown away with how spectacular it is, how much it's influenced pop culture in general, film in general, and just how fucking beautiful it is to look at. Um, I Gorgeous. was just so absorbed in it. I didn't realize I would have such an intense emotional reaction. It felt like a two and a half hour long panic attack in a good way. And like, (laughs) I just, the way I was able to get so emotionally invested into this film that I was expecting to kind of have a, like a detached relationship from, it was such a, a good thing. I think I was being very cynical when I saw this, when I was going into watching it and I'm so glad I did. So Dave, thank you for making me watch this. Um, <laughs> yeah. You've changed my life, man. Um, and now I want to watch it again, which is so funny. And like, I haven't been able to stop thinking about it and it's bizarre. Like this is, it's just a weird experience. Um, again, in a good way, but mm-hmm. I can't get it out of my head. Now imagine so. being eight and seeing it for <laughs> right. the first time. I, that's my thing. I was like, I can barely conceive of this as a 27 year old, but I guess like when yeah. you're a kid, there there must be other like really weird, cool things going through your head that like I wonder, I would always I would wonder like what, yeah, like what you make of it, like, like what you yeah. make of it. But Dave, the, yeah, how many? You, you have the final, you have the final word. How many? Um, I, I don't think I can do that, Dave's out of five. Do you give this? Oh, uh, two. No, no, of course. I mean, like, it, it, will, it will surprise. It will, it will, it will surprise Sorry. N- nobody that uh, I give this uh, five. I'm afraid I can't what? do that, Dave's out of five. Um, yeah, I mean, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, despite what it did to me as a as a as a ten year old or an eight year old or whatever it was. Yeah, I mean, everything you guys said. Like, I don't have a lot to add to it. Really, it's it's you know, it yeah. this this movie is it was revolutionary in its time. I think it's still revolutionary today. There's still no movie that's like it in sort of the way the story is told. Mm-hmm in how poetic yeah. it is and how elliptical it is. And, and at the same time in, in like how sort of like deeply researched it is and how sort of concretely real, like the way they're able to have this sense of 
almost mystical scope and awe and, and the, and the scope of time that it covers. And at the same time, it's so mundane and concrete in so many of its details. Like, I, I think it's just, I think it's a, a miracle of a movie. Um, and, um, and yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, six, six, if I could give it six. Yeah. You can give it six. Give it six. We, don't have, we don't have rules here. <laughs> what are there rules? Are no rules. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you so much, Dave, for joining us to talk about uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Where can our listeners find you? And do you have anything coming up you can share? Um, so I, I am barely on social media. I've, I've been <laughs> doing I've been I, our, our, our distributors keep telling me to, to tweet and Instagram. And, and I do have <laughs> handles. I think I'm I'm at D Marmer on Twitter. I'm at David underscore Marmer on Instagram. And I will occasionally be on there, but I'm not good at it. So yeah, I'm not I'm not easy to find that way, but you know, like I'm 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 there. Um, I'm I'm, I'm <laughs> participating in the 21st century, um, and uh, and right now what I'm doing is um, you know wrangling a toddler and uh, and being stuck at home. But I'm also rewriting um, my uh, my next movie, um, which are, I'm doing with the same producers uh, from One oh, Bedroom. Cool. Um, it's a very Sweet. very different movie it's science fiction um Ooh. and uh, yes. they have forbidden me to say anything more about it so i can't i can't cool. tell you i can't tell you much but um is it going to be a two and a half hour odyssey of the human of humankind's existence definitely not <laughs> i think that i think that's i think that's been done as well as it can be done um <laughs> Uh, but you know, you know, it's funny. There, there are. I, I've always been. You know, I'm a huge Kubrick nerd. Like nobody will be surprised to hear that. And and they're <laughs> definitely there. I'm reaching for some for some Kubrickness in the in this. Um, cool. Awesome. It's you know, it's something I'm really really excited about this one. This is a, a script that is really close to my heart, and I'm super excited that I now have an opportunity to make it at such time as movies are being made again. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone stream stream one bedroom on Netflix. Yes. It's on please. there now. <laughs> yeah. Go watch please it. Please watch it. You nothing. Enjoy you already it. have Netflix. It cost yes. Go it cost you nothing. Go enjoy it. Yeah. Yes, please. It's a good um, movie. Yeah. Um, it's a great movie, guys. So oh, listeners, you. you've heard from us. <laughs> <laughs> listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What was your experience with 2001 A Space Odyssey? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or reach out directly to us on Twitter. I'm at, at mbmcandrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, keep the conversation going by chatting with the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Steve Bronald for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. And thank you to everyone for listening. Stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. 
If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>